Hello, everybody, and welcome to Blackballed. My name is James D. Fiore, and I am really excited about today's show um, because one specific reason. Um, I'm having a guest on that um, draws the ire of whatever you want to call the left these days, um, like no other person I've, I think I've ever seen. Uh, and when you're a guy like me and you, and you find the whole playground to be absurd, um, you end up like, you know, uh, taking a shine to people that get uh, sort of not railroaded, but, you know, like if you make a mistake and you're a certain and, and you and you fall on the political spectrum to the right and, and you make a mistake. It, it's like they treat you as if you are standing on the tallest mountain repeatedly shouting the same mistake and from now until the end of time. And it, we are in a very kindergarten atmosphere, I think, in society because of that kind of stuff. But anyways, um, she is a veteran journalist. Um, she uh, worked for Post Media, Toronto Sun. Um, she stopped working uh, for Post Media, I think it was three years ago. She's going to correct me, I'm sure, if I'm wrong. And now she works uh, for, for True North. And it, it, that's another one of those outlets that immediately gets dismissed by a lot of people because um, they lean to the right. So we're going to talk about that and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, here's our guest, Sue Ann Levy. How are you, Sue Ann? How you doing? I'm great. And I left post media last july so it's not even a year oh, i know okay, wow. quickly forgotten quickly forgotten. no no the I, I i'm playing the pandemic card because oh, um I, everything i i don't know what what was two years ago versus six months ago oh. <laughs> like I, I wrote down november at work the other day oh, like i really yeah. did <laughs> so i know um but that could be a whole other litany of issues that i have that's mm -hmm. causing that um so one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today uh, was because you just did a piece um, for for True North. Mike Bullard is back and he's ready to laugh again. Um, as my listeners and viewers know, uh, right now I am we, Mike and I, Mike Bullard and I have a book deal. We're in the middle of writing this book. Um, it'll be out later this year. And can you tell me, like we talked a little bit um, on the phone a, a month ago or whatever about a bunch of this stuff, but can you just sort of like remind our audience what it is that Mike Bullard um, went down for, uh, because you've done a deep dive into his situation. I already know it, but I, I'd like to hear it from someone that isn't sort of like in his inner circle and, um, and, and break it down for us so that people can finally understand, you know, what really happened to him. Well, I think he was probably the victim of a couple of things, the Me Too movement, the emerging Me Too movement, uh, a cabal of female journalists who acted kind of like a lynch mob. And I don't put myself in the same category because I was actually assaulted twice. So I understand what it's like to truly be a victim. And I think also there was a very, very aggressive or assertive, if we want to put it that way, Crown attorney who just really pushed the limit. And the poor guy, he didn't know the legal system very well. I, I, you know, am a champion of the underdog, was known for that. And I actually felt uh, sympathy for him because I think he got railroaded uh, for actually having a, what you might call an eight month relationship with uh, a notable TV personality, Cynthia Mulligan, Mulligan in Toronto, and not knowing when to just walk away, uh, he, I guess, continued to text her. That was perceived by the law as criminal harassment. There's a high bar to reach for criminal harassment. And he was basically dragged through the courts. He texted her a few more times or maybe multiple times. I mean, his, I mean, you think his big crime was that he was naive about the system and he didn't know when to quit because obviously he really, really cared about this woman. Yeah. One of my favorite caveats of, uh, <clears throat> of an otherwise really awful situation for Mike, who's uh, an actual close friend of mine is that, um, you know, the judge saying that his texts, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but his texts were like gentlemanly <laughs> and that there's no way that anybody could ever feel threatened based on the texts themselves. Well, I was looking at it through my own lens because I was beat up and left for dead when I was 21 at Carleton University 
you don't get over that kind of trauma. And I knew what real fear was like. I was again sexually assaulted again in 2004 by someone who came to my condo to put together a bitch. So I was looking at it through that lens. I never saw anything in my own mind that was would make anybody fearful, maybe annoyed, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, yep. go away already kind of thing. But uh, fear is like it was just taken to an extreme. I felt looking and I really did a deep dive on it. I looked at all the documents. I read the judge's uh, ruling at the preliminary hearing. He himself said there was nothing that suggested that uh, the victim should feel any sort of fear. And he didn't think that the, the, the texts, he said, if the case went to trial, there was no way they would find him guilty of uh, a jury, a reasonable jury would find him guilty of criminal harassment. Unfortunately, the landscape back then, back and they were talking 2016, 15, 16, was every woman was out for blood. Now, I always think the pendulum is going to swing back. It swung very far the me, with the Me Too movement. I think it's going to swing back. But he got caught in that, I believe. Would, would you say, because I, I, I often find I get a little annoyed because I feel like there's two camps often for basically for every issue, but, but for me too, as well, where it's like, oh, me too went way too far. And, and the victimizing men is one camp and the other camp is like, you know, women are finally getting justice, but just like everything else, isn't there um, a way to approach an issue like a cultural shift as important as me too, and say, you know what? A lot of good was done, but there was also some shrapnel. And we're going to have to recognize that this shrapnel exists. James, back in 2005, when I pushed my case, my sexual assault case to court, they didn't even want to try it. I had to fight. So I understand what it's like to fight to get a case like that to court. I was not raped, uh, luckily, but to get a case like that to, to court was difficult. So I was very happy to see that, you know, the courts were taking this seriously. Unfortunately, in this case, I really felt things went overboard. And that's what generally happens when, you know, a movement and everybody jumps on the movement and women, you know, side with women, automatically believing their story without doing the kind of deep dive that I did into all the documents. Yeah. And there was kind of a um, there was kind of a social panic. Uh, where where corporations and media companies, especially those two entities, were so afraid of optics that the only messaging that they ever released that pertained to anything Me Too related was um, blind faith in accusers and Uh kind of throwing um, people who weren't even on trial yet under the bus. Now, even if you got the law of probability on your side, eventually you're going to get a case where someone is innocent and you've thrown them under the bus. And that's always been something that I've thought about. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought about it with Steve Pakin, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. I I mean, he got off a lot luckier than than many, although the investigation did take a long time and, uh, you know, it it still Mm -hmm. was very hard on him. He's one of the nicest guys, I I think. Um, And and and, you know, and. And he was able to sort of clear his name after the investigation. A lot of people didn't believe that it happened, but he got lucky. Most most men back then that were innocent were still mm-hmm. issuing these groveling apologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's still it happening really though. Bizarre. It's it's still happening. It's not related to sexual assault, but it's when you use the wrong words. It happened yeah. to my good friend Peter Sherman not too long ago, on News Talk Radio, and he was canceled. What did he say? Uh, he he said uh, he he was interviewing Farah Khan, who's a radical left lesbian, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying anything out of school. He was interviewing her about this uh, program they're bringing into being, uh, where they identify women who you know get their drinks drugged and are at a bar, and that kind of happens, and they're trying to educate women about that. So he told a story about his niece who came to Toronto from a small town, and he had warned her, um, you know, to be careful when she goes to a bar. And he had used the wrong terminology, you know, and and Farrah got set off. She thought he was painting her as a victim when, in fact, he was just being a caring uncle. And the interview went totally off the rails. It got 
totally um, misinterpreted. But uh, the they threw uh, did they threw him in the they, did they throw him in the same pile as they throw like well what are you wearing that night like, did they yeah like and so that? chorus yeah. radio dumped him basically they dragged him through the mud and dumped him and I did a story on that as well I mean it was it was so unfair because I listened to the uh, tape of what had happened of the you know interview and she basically hung up on him and threw a temper tantrum got very petulant. And then went on social media and tried to play the victim. I mean, not much of that happens. Not uh, not a lot of that happens now, but it still happens with the radical left, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's all these like really kind of I, I think they're funny examples. Um, I always forget her name, but the NDP maritime former MP with the glasses, the female. Um, it doesn't matter. But when Elbowgate happened and she, oh, and right, she got, right. yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I'm sorry that I yeah. forget her name. Um, yeah. But um, Elbowgate happened and the next day she's in the house and she's like, my colleagues feel unsafe to go to work. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. is this really happening? Like yeah. a very unprofessional, immature prime minister accidentally elbowed somebody. Are we really yeah. like making it a gender issue and misogyny yeah. and all that kind of stuff? Um, yeah. And, yeah. Like, there are the examples are so asinine that 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 oh. that happened that I'm actually starting to get confident that pe that that it's going to go away eventually. It might take 10 years, but I, I don't people are kind of like, all right, enough of this shit already. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it's going to take 10 years because I think people are getting pretty fed up with this, um, you know, victimology, you know, the people who think if you look at them the wrong way or you slight them or you say the wrong words. Uh, you're this, that, and the other thing. And I think people are starting to see through all of that. And I hope it doesn't take 10 years because yeah. I've certainly been targeted for a lot of stuff, you know, for let's, just let's, being let's, outspoken. Let's, just being yeah. outspoken. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I, I, first of all, I want to know, how did you manage to become a Jewish lesbian Nazi? How, how did that happen? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm also... <laughs> a self-loathing lesbian, a racist, an Islamophobe. I have been called every name in the book. Self-loathing lesbian is the best because I was called that by the pride organization. What? Like, yeah, it's, it's so like, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, well, how does one even earn the label? Because you didn't like march in lockstep with a pride issue. Is that basically all it was? Well, I revealed that their finances were basically a mess. A, yeah. and they had lost a ton of money because what did they do they capitulated to black lives matter yeah right? and they That's, kicked the police yeah. out of the parade so they lost a ton of money and i got the financial statements and i revealed that and as people are want to do when they are exposed uh they got mm -hmm. up at a meeting that i attended and you know went into great detail about how awful i was i mean i do trigger people <laughs> but that was just doing my job <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you're cut from a similar cloth as like a Barbara Kay, right? Like, mm -hmm. is that fair? Right. If right. I were to make comparison, you know what's funny? I was thinking about this before, um, like earlier today, when I was thinking about our our conversation today. When I was growing up, all of the journalists that I read, like when I was like eight to like oh. end of high school, almost exclusively the journalists that I read, my favorites were were women. I really enjoyed you. I really enjoyed Christy Blatchford, who I got to yeah. know as a as a friend later on in life. Mm -hmm. I, I liked um, I liked Rosie, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and then later on, I even liked Robin Doolittle when she first came out. I thought she was mm -hmm. like smart and articulate and plucky and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. she can she can talk really fast. I don't know if you knew that, oh. but like she did she oh, used yeah. to do these segments where she was like oh. this motorman, um, you know. It's it's but so it's alarming to me. My point, if I may get there eventually, is that what's alarming to me is that there um, a certain sect of our society is so willing to like tear women down um, if they don't agree with their opinion. Um, you're an example of that. The greatest example on the planet right now is J.K. Rowling. Like I, I am, yeah, oh God. when yeah. I watch the her stuff unfold and all the hate and venom that she gets, oh. I'm just like this is how you know something's fucked up <laughs> yeah you know oh I, mean? I know i know i mean they're all eating each other up that's that's the thing but uh 
I mean, in my case, uh, Ezra Levant said something a couple of years ago to me that really stuck with me, um, that the left likes to target conservative women because they think they're vulnerable. But I think we're actually tougher. Um, you are you 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 are tougher. Yeah, I think <laughs> remember, we're tougher. Remember the whole bare arms yeah. thing. With yeah. Sun News, like yeah. You know. Yeah, they do. They do. And, uh, you know, and they <laughs> the people who purport to be champions of, you know, uh, tolerance and this and that. I don't I can't begin to tell you how many uh, comments I've had made about my age and this like, you know, would you do that to a man? Uh, it's, it, well, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tear I tear down mostly men, but the the one the odd time I might criticize a professional or well-known woman is like you get swarmed. You're just like these people are human beings. My wife is one of those like people who who constantly reminds me of what it's like to feel infantilized by low expectations. You know, like she she's constantly telling me she's like I I hate it that we're like coddled like we're these little fragile princesses. Right. And um and you know what that's actually kind of like um. Now I know you and I could never be Sue Ann, but um, that's yeah. why I really kind of like conservative women because they remind yeah. me of when I was young and I used to like look at like yeah. like want to get with older women because they were yeah. smarter and tougher yeah. and if yeah. they had baggage they knew how to carry it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's still uh, an element of uh, patronizing when you ask a hard question. Uh, I've had comments thrown at me that I'm sure they would never throw at a man uh, when I've asked hard questions and particularly by politicians, um, mm. which I, I'm just floored when they come out with those sort of things. Um, but anyway, it is what yeah, it is. And it, it, it is. And um, it, it's, it's interesting because um, the one thing, and I, and I do not want to dwell on this at all, but like you, you wrote an article once and you, I think you, you took, um, uh, it was trip advisory and there were comments yeah. on the bottom and reviews and stuff. And, right. and you, and you took one and you later identified that um, uh, the, the part that you took wasn't actually true and you owned right. it. They still fucking talk about it. <laughs> I know. Like that, and and you know? It, it is a very sore point with me, but I don't mind talking about it because I mean, it happened four years ago and they still throw it at when I criticize somebody, they still throw it at me. I mean, how, how many journalists do you know that would actually write a whole article apologizing for their mistake and admitting their mistake, which I did fairly quickly after. Um, and the thing it was- It depends that, how transphobic they were. Yeah. <laughs> well, three, three. Uh, I did three articles. That was the third one. And that one kind of got me into trouble, but I'm not gonna make any excuses. It was a very busy time, but I'm not gonna make excuses. I made a mistake, pure and simply. But then, uh, you know, the left tried to say that I'd caused a fire in the hotel, that I'd got people really upset about refugees. It just got totally out of control. There was hate for for quite a few months, and I had to live with it, keep my head up high. And in 30 years, you know, 31 years now, this is the thing that they keep throwing at me. Like, it was four years ago. Get over it. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those parts of the like I, I have a lot of issues with the far right um but the issues that i have with them are mostly like transparent like i don't even think they would disagree with me if i said you think this and i strongly disagree with that they'd be like no yeah, that's what i think <laughs> you know that kind of like what you see is what you get in a lot of ways <laughs> the left are a little tricky because they have all these like rules enshrined in <laughs> their minds <laughs> and if, if people that have no idea what these rules are don't abide by these rules then you get like finger wagged and lectured um, and, and they, they signal their, yeah, they signal Endlessly. their virtue onto you. Yeah. And, 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 and they, and worst of all, they can't admit it. Yeah. That's the worst part is that like, I, I've, I've sat down with conservatives and like um, this one guy once said something kind of questionable about um, indigenous people. He was from Saskatchewan. It's almost a prerequisite. Um, just kidding, Saskatchewan. But um, you know, the, the, uh, he like I broke it down to him like this. I'm like, you know, like you're probably not a big fan of indigenous people. And maybe no. that's a little bit of a problem. No. He's like, you know what? I don't like him. So even though I think he's an idiot and kind of a dick, mm-hmm. he like owned the fact that he, he yeah. is doing what I can clearly see him doing. Yeah. 
the left have this weird thing where they they just can't do it and the jk rowling thing drives me crazy and people think i'm obsessed with the issue and i'm like i'm not obsessed with the story oh. i'm obsessed with the, like the um the hubris it takes to tear down a, the most successful female author in history because she thinks that women and trans women are equal oh. but different oh. like that's it yeah yeah well listen i saw uh i was at a uh library um when a, a library protest when a a woman was megan murphy yes megan yeah. murphy and the hate and the venom outside the library was incredible oh, i saw My it god yeah. they get themselves all whipped up and i'm standing there and i'm thinking this poor woman just came to speak and express her opinion and nothing she said because i went inside to listen was that outrageous but people get themselves all whipped up and it never worse than now since COVID and through COVID, people get themselves whipped up. Yeah, no, well, they got nothing better to do. Um, yeah. You know, the the greatest um, sparsely told story during the pandemic is the mental health of Canadians right, because right. I think people mm -hmm. are, you know, people are just a little buggy. <laughs> yeah, you know? they're very angry. There's an anger, a pervasive anger. Um, you know, I've seen a, a, a lot of people just have little tolerance for whatever. Um, and they're, they are very angry. <laughs> do, do you think that you are um, in, a, in one of the two boxes? Like, do you know, like in the most simplistic way that I can like, you know, present to you this idea, but like, like in polarization, do you see yourself on one side or the other or in the middle kind of trying to float well my critics would like me to put me in the one box you know and i've been you know the other thing is alt-right what is alt-right what is far right uh i said to somebody just today is far right just anybody who's to the right of marxist ideology i mean i i see myself as fiscally conservative and socially liberal i mean i'm gay uh, and I understand. Why are you throwing your gay agenda in my face, Sue Ann? I'm not. Well, <laughs> I'm I was just going to tell you I'm transgendering too. To, oh, really? Oh, yeah, to Saul. Yeah. To Saul Levy yeah. uh, next week. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, <laughs> I don't know why we have to put people in boxes, but all my critics do. You're a self-loathing lesbian because you dare criticize pride. Uh, I was stalked at a... a a protest by three very radical lesbian young ladies who have probably been indoctrinated in university about conservatives. I'm not supposed to be gay because I'm conservative. And uh, they called me a disgrace to uh, the LGBT agenda. Like, there are lots of people who are conservative and gay. So I think that's why I wrote the book that I did in 2016, Underdog Confessions of a Right-Wing Gay Jewish Muckraker, shameless plug, um, because I don't fit in. I'm sort of like a round peg. You're a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think, you know, and people are so ready to peg you in a particular box. But, you know, during COVID, to give you an example, I wrote a lot about long-term care in my last year at the Sun. And most of my great contacts were NDP because they really got it, what was happening in long-term care homes. So, and they, yeah. we got, we established great relationships. So, you know, same at Queens Park, when I was at Queens Park, they do their research. So I don't always agree with their policies, but. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the branding that comes from the public, like it's, um, um, Dean Blundell, who, who, uh, I work with, um, who I know that you, you and him have butt heads in the past. Um, okay. who hasn't he butt heads with? Um, I was going to say me, but we butt heads all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I love Dean. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I, I mm -hmm. look, look, I, I like people who are outspoken. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the reasons why I like you, one of the reasons why I liked, uh, Christy Blatchford, um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons why I like Dean, I don't always agree with Dean. Um, mm -hmm. but having friends that are outspoken because i'm that friend for a lot of my friends i'm the outspoken one but um mm -hmm. having friends like that and dean would be kind of like uh, you know if i were to stereotype him the left version of an outspoken person you would be sort of a right version of an outspoken person mm -hmm. but i'm like 
I forget about like if I read an article of yours and I find it snarky and maybe even oh. like a little bit too heavy on on somebody, I might oh. think something at the moment and then oh. I'll never think about it again. Mm-hmm. And we have these obsessive people in our society that just constantly sue and levy goats, ba 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 ba. Like you know, it's just yeah. keywords, you know, and they I want know. to tear you down like that. And I think that even if you disagree with Sue Ann Levy, you should be able to just disagree, have a conversation, and shake hands. And by the way, I have to say this: you are not a self-loathing lesbian. <clears throat> I'm a no, no. I'm kind of an expert in this. I have dated three hetero curious lesbians. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they were the self-loathing. Yeah. Lesbians. You know, they ended up with this guy. I don't know. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Well, I'm married, yeah. happily married. Um, to uh, after I came out, I met uh, my wife, and uh, we're happily married. So I don't think I'm self-loathing. Um, I don't use that to identify myself. I'm a lot of things, and uh, I'm also I love dachshunds. I'm a proud dachshund owner. So you know that's a gay stereotype, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> the, the, I, don't, the, I thought the they designer had designer dogs. Boots. Yeah, I thought they had shih tzus. But oh, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> It's a crazy world we're living in right now. It really is. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Yeah, you, you're experiencing, I think, what a lot of black conservatives um, experience as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I can't name I can name a few American black conservatives. I don't think I can name one Canadian black conservative that you see anywhere mm-hmm. in the media. And yeah. and the funny thing is, is that if you actually like poll black communities in Canada, more than half of them are usually tilting a little bit conservative. And it's often because of their church. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's mm-hmm. that's sort of. Mm-hmm. So they're not even being represented accurately in the media mm-hmm. who only seems to want to platform Desmond Coles of the world. Right. Yeah, it's it's actually very scary what's happening. And I've been writing a lot about school boards and what they're doing with anti-black racism and critical race theory, because that's exactly what they're trying to pound into young kids, kids as young as, well, kindergarten uh, about Blacks being critical race theory, Blacks are uh, the oppressed and whites are the oppressors and racism is so ingrained in our institutions. Well, that makes Black children and their parents into victims. You know, you want to rise up. And I, you know, so it's actually very scary and I call the theory very dangerous. Uh, The Black activists who make their living off this theory right now would not agree with yeah. me, of course, but. Well, the, the, you know, um, we might differ a little bit on this because, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I think history um, provided a trajectory for groups of people. Mm-hmm. And some of those trajectories were really generous and some yeah. of those trajectories were really not. Someone made a point to me once that made me stop and think, cause I used to kind of be a little bit like, listen, where it's 2020 or whatever year it was when I was saying this, you know, it, maybe it's time to like, you know, look ahead and stop looking back. Uh-huh. But it's just as difficult for um, a person of, of wealth, generational wealth to fall into poverty 
as it is a person from who experiences generational poverty to climb up into wealth. Ooh. And I think that like when, when I realized that that true ism was like a good starting point when you like, and it's not to give excuses to criminals and all that kind of stuff, oh. but it, but it is, there is a difference in, in the way that we're uh, in, in, in the way that we've been um, evolving on this mm -hmm. continent um, mm -hmm. as far as like, you know, privilege, we all hate the word, but it, it, it does exist. Um, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So this is my meandering sort of way of, of, of sort of saying though, that, they want to kind of be unchallenged in their beliefs like it's mm. biblical even though most of them are atheists <laughs> just yeah. funny um yeah. and and that is like that is why it seems cultish to me uh yes a lot of these theories are and, and certainly what i see in the school boards right now i mean even the point of i just covered a meeting or observed a meeting last night of the ottawa school board uh they want to continue the mass mandate beyond um, March 21st, kids have been through enough, but these woke trustees who fancy themselves progressive and believe in the nanny state telling parents and children uh, everything they should do, uh, we're really pushing to extend it. Thankfully, the um, idea lost on a 6-6 tie vote, but it was awfully close. And this is, it is a cult because they all speak the same way. They all pat each other on the back. It's so incestuous. And, you know, once you get outside the bubble and actually connect with people, um, and they said 50-50, a lot of them said 50-50, a lot of parents wrote them and said, let's get rid of masks. A lot of them wrote and said, let's keep masks, whatever. But I mean, once you get outside into the real world, it ain't happening more. I mean, for the most part, COVID is over. Um, and they are in their little bubbles and they are like a cult. They are. They reinforce each other's points of view. I was listening to it, to the meeting last night, and they try to intimidate those who disagree with them. I've seen it at several different school boards. And I just wrote about a teacher at uh, the Waterloo School Board who made a, a deputation about uh, the sex highly sexualized books being in elementary school libraries. She was cut off, she was harassed, she was intimidated. She was sent on home leave. She wasn't allowed to finish her speech. And uh, she finally retired. I mean, I think she planned to do that. But, I mean, they they just made mincemeat out of her. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad, too, because, like, you know, I, I don't want to have to be uh, forced to believe that there are dozens of genders. I, I just don't feel oh. like uh -huh. that should be something that that is claimed to be, like, written in stone. But... Oh. I, 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 uh, Morgan, Morgan, Morgan Ogre, is that her name? Um, the, yeah. the trans activist from Vancouver. Yeah. Um, we were going at it one time back and forth and I was just like, okay, fine. You know, I'll give you the gender thing, but only if you make an app that oh. notifies me when new gender has been discovered. <laughs> who <laughs> who yeah. discovered it, why yeah. it's called, what it's called and what it looks like under a microscope. <laughs> and then we can yeah. like, you know, have a conversation. Um, it, it was overnight. Uh, where it was like there there were no um conventional wisdoms in in sort of trans activism and gender activism and then seemingly overnight it, it became all of these things that were really bizarrely they were clearly you know um untenable such as self-id yeah you know the idea that there is only one area in this entire world where 100 percent of the time people are telling the truth <laughs> just that one area well, I think, you know, I think trends will happen. And this is definitely that time where you have to use different pronouns. I have a real problem with them pushing it on young kids and trying to indoctrinate young kids. I teach them the basics, teach them how to operate in the real world. You know, teach them math, to be math literate, reading, spelling. Sometimes I'm appalled, actually, at teachers who write or tweet and can't spell or can't conjugate. Yeah sentences properly. So, you know, it's, I think the school system's gone really off track and it's not just in Ontario, it's in North America, it's in the States as well, but we're just, it's, fu it's funny. Cause there's some people that are watching this that are thinking like the things that we're saying are like abhorrent, right? Like that, oh. that 
that what we're like, I like, cause I believe that, um, by giving kids, by introducing kids to a salad bar of choices when it comes to yeah. genders, mm-hmm. they're probably just going to fucking pick one yeah. and it might not have anything to do with anything, but they just think, Oh, well, I guess I'm, if I'm normal, I'm, I'm one of these things. Um, yeah. and I don't understand why we're legislating our uh, emotional avatars. Cause that's what it feels like. Well, again, you know, stick to the basics and, if they want to learn this kind of thing, believe me, media is very pervasive. They can learn it, but stick to the basics in the classroom. But I feel like schools, school boards, certainly in Ontario and maybe extends beyond Ontario, are these giant indoctrination uh, places, places where kids are indoctrinated with all this, these wokeisms. And, you know, and I see it in their th- crit- crit- excuse me, curriculum, their policies, and I don't think it's a good time for kids in the public school system at all. Oh, no. No, it's not. Um, the critical race theory is kind of an interesting subject because um, I, was t- I was interviewing Jonathan Kay uh, mm-hmm. maybe a month ago, and he was talking about how he took it when he went to law school. Mm-hmm. He took critical race theory because it was really mm-hmm. kind of entrenched in, in the law program and talked mm-hmm. about how um, blacks... Uh, uh, blacks and whites uh, uh, would be impacted differently under the same laws because of where mm-hmm. they were in society and stuff. Right. And it was interesting, actually. It was like when you unpacked it, it was like, you know, okay, there's, there's some compelling arguments. Mm-hmm. But then when it got to the school boards, it, it all got morphed into white people are oppressors. Yeah. And, and right. you need to stay in your lane and shut up while we talk about um, the oppression of, of black people. And I, I just don't think it's... Like it's not something that's productive at all. Like we should. I, mean, be, I, I saw it in South know. Africa, so way back when, uh, in nineteen. I'm trying to think now. Ninety eight, ninety nine. I went to South Africa just as apartheid ended, and mm. you know, and I was not. I mean, it was a horrible thing, and blacks were repressed considerably. And I saw Soweto, which is outside of Johannesburg, terribly, terribly poor. But then I saw blacks who'd, made, who'd achieved positions of elite, elite positions in society. And I saw that they had, you know, late model cars, Mercedes, this and that. And there's still very, very poor blacks. So you replace the white uh, oppression with black oppression. I hate to say it, but I watched, I saw it there. And these elitist blacks taking over. So is human nature is human nature, unfortunately. Yeah, um, power. Yeah, you know, power yeah. corrupts. And I, you know, I don't think they South Africa government was very happy with me because I came. You know, they wanted me. I wrote a thing about you know apartheid being in, ended, but I did put in the fact that I saw, you know, black people with Mercedes and others living very poorly, and there just seemed to be a huge dichotomy between the entitled and the not you know the poor that's just leftovers of a white supremacist system that they're going to of gonna course have. of course you're just going to blame the whites for everything well it's like you know like, i don't know I, I i i i'm sort of like i'm one of these people that and it's probably people would say it's convenient because i'm white mm-hmm. but um you know i don't really trash mongolians because genghis khan raped and murdered his way around the world you know like the persians like Mm -hmm. there have been times in history where everybody has been tyrannical and Mm -hmm. awful and oppressive and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. just one group happened to have ships yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like i'm not i'm not trying to make light of it but like i i I do feel i would be really self-loathing if i thought that just inherently white uh, white people are worse than anybody else. Like I just, yeah. it, it can't, They're you know, not. We, we, we live in a society where we've been able to, I, I used to make fun of people like uh, uh, Rush Limbaugh, who mm-hmm. in like the nineties would be like, it's open season on the white man. And I'd be well, like, I don't, know, I don't think it is. I wouldn't use that phrase now, but like, I often go to this example, like where it, it would be not uncommon to see in the Huffington Post, a headline that's like, 10 things stupid white men need to shut up about. Like that would be a headline. Legit. It would. But you put any other demographic in that headline and you're fucked. Well, I (laughs) know know? there is definitely a double standard. I mean, much as I, we talked about earlier about the double standard with conservative journalists. So I made a mistake 
reported something about TripAdvisor, about goats. It wasn't meant to be racist in the slightest. I was just reporting what was going on in a hotel. And by the way, that hotel was overrun with considerable problems. Um, unfortunately, what I did took away from the real issue. Mm. But, um, you know, <laughs> the the beating up on me for what I did compared to what would happen if, you know, somebody in the liberal mainstream media did the same thing. It would be- Can I ask you, can, can I ask you a tough question? And because I don't want to belabor it or anything like that, but I just, I'm just curious though. Do you think it was a case of you may have had a narrative going in and it fit with it? And so you went with it and maybe you didn't do the due diligence you should have because of that? I didn't do the due diligence uh for a, a number of reasons one way i was really busy on something else but that was my problem but i think it was more i had nothing against refugees i had problems with putting refugees up in hotels where other guests were checking in and not knowing and the refugees are bringing all their issues to the hotel and you know i i always look at the other side for example got hotel shelters all over toronto uh, of homeless people who are drug addicts. Yeah. And they're wandering around, for example, down by the Novatic, lawlessness, breaking into restaurants. It's not politically correct, but I write about that. It was the same thing with the hotel. It was just that I'm not saying they're lawless, but I'm saying they're bringing all their cultural and they're being thrown into this hotel where other guests are coming and the get, it wasn't fair to the other guests, at least tell the other guests, don't come. Our hotel is closed, but they didn't do that. They just, it's all these knee jerk, ill thought out reactions. And that was what it was all about. I, I certainly didn't think they were coming with, you know, chickens in a coop or whatever. <laughs> what was the new, what was the newsroom like in the, in like the, um, in like the eighties? compared to now? Well, I started in 89. And it was very mm. collegial. I had a lot of really good friends. Some exist to this day. Um, one was very upset with me when I asked to leave and get a buyout. Um, very collegial. Uh, if you made a mistake, you owned up to it and people tried to help you. When I was on the city desk, I tried to mentor other people help them. I always believe sink or swim, but would try to help them. Um, we'd have parties. We, you know, I did really, really well at the sun because I worked hard. I uh, did my homework. I was outspoken. Uh, they liked that until no one in the media liked that. And that happened in the last couple of years until no one liked it anymore. And I was perceived as a troublemaker in the media perceived as a troublemaking for doing the same thing I'd done for what, 28 years. Unfortunately, the culture has changed in newsrooms and everybody's worried about legal. First, it started with legal. They're worried about the legal ramifications. Then it started yeah. with the, oh, can't say that, can't say that, can't say that because you might upset one particular minority group. And it became like, you know, why are we, and, and journalists became more purveyors of entertainment and not wanting to dig. And I was, I won a couple of awards for my investigative reporting. I loved doing that. I felt mm -hmm. like I was sort of like a detective. Yeah. I loved, <laughs> I got a few people fired along the way, like the, the head of the Pan Am Games, you know, for mm -hmm. my exposés. I won another for the homeless situation. I always identified with the underdog and tried to help them out. But then, you know, other media would just, you know, not do their homework, just report what was handed to them like pablum. Uh, social media became pervasive, uh, which was good and bad. It got very bad because of the bullying that occurs. And uh, mm. the whole landscape changed, I think, uh, in the last... 10 years basically yeah they do it to everybody in a way too like i can't think of uh, any journalist that leans right that hasn't been like permanently branded 
you know, yeah. um, from from Conrad Black to Ezra Levant. Although I gotta tell you, I'm not real. I don't. I don't. I don't really like Ezra Levant either. He's a little bit of a huckster. Like there's always a fundraiser going on for some yeah. shit that well, he, he did. I don't know. <laughs> he know. wants to. You know, that's how he keeps him survive. How he survives. And I like Ezra as a person. I think he's. You know, deep down, he's a really decent Jewish boy. Um, and I say that because I think he's pretty religious, actually. Um, really? But really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he just seems I, a little bit like a grifter to me. Like, like he's like the, uh, all that fundraising. I'm just yeah. like, why are people sending this guy money? <laughs> like, I mean, well, know, I like, guess that's how he keeps his, you know, in independent media alive. I guess um, so. Yeah. But you know, it's. <laughs> It just got so different, and um, you know, the, like I said, the bullying and the name calling. And I'll give you an example. Kathy Crow was, you know, involved with the homeless cause at, at in Toronto, mm -hmm. and she had a group of people. And for years, I would say that it was the poverty industry, and I'd call them poverty pimps. I even called them poverty pimps in my book. No problem. Then I revisit that idea in 2000, I think in 19, it was before COVID. She takes me to the National Media Council with a complaint. And the National Media Council, even though there was precedent, I'd already written about in my book three or four years before, said that it was inappropriate. All of a sudden. I mean, it just like boggled my mind that these things were going on. That's like saying like race baiter. It's, it's pretty much the yeah. same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I see. Yeah, this is where this is where I want to get off the ride. Like, <laughs> you know, because mm -hmm. um, there's just too much smugness on 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 the left right now, and and mm -hmm. and how they like they they have all the solutions and this and that. Although I must say though, um, something interesting has happened recently. Um, with Jordan Peterson, uh, mm -hmm. I interviewed him uh, four years ago, maybe five mm -hmm. years ago. It was just mm -hmm. before his fame started to take off, mm -hmm. and um, he was a great interview. Uh, he was um, generous with his time, and he was articulate, mm -hmm. and he was careful, mm -hmm. and he didn't want to seem. He he, he corrected me because I said unfairly or not, he has become the darling of the far right. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I said something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Oh, first I take issue with that because I'm not part of the far right. I, well, you know, and, and, and I thought he was largely misunderstood for years and years, but lately I feel like he is becoming the caricature that they said he was four mm -hmm. years ago. And so it's neat how you see different pieces on the board, like react to what's happening. Um, I, I feel like he just was like, well, fuck this. I, I guess I'm conservative now. And, and that's the box. <laughs> on me, you know, <laughs> well, maybe, but he's a, he's made a lot of money being whatever he is, you yeah, know, more power to him. Um, but you know, people had to, he spoke out and I have a lot of respect for people who speak out and say what's on their mind. Um, there are very few these days who will actually say what they mean, speak the truth, do their homework. And, you know, and that's to get back to Mike Bullard. That's why I felt that his story needed to be told because there was such a gang up on him and, mm -hmm. you know, on social media, on Facebook, on, I mean, all these feminazis, as I call them, were ganging up on this guy saying untrue things, including Heather Malick, which I thought was just terrible. Um, and uh, he didn't have a chance. No, but, and, and the cardinal rule that we're constantly, that we were constantly being told during Me Too, um, which mm -hmm. was that if a predator is accused, um, you're gonna see another like half dozen women, like, because they, they yeah. never only have one victim in their lives. Right. There has not been one female that has stood up and said anything yeah. Bad about Bullard. Like Bullard is kind of the perfect patsy because he's like bombastic. You know what I mean? Like he's and, he's a generation you know, re yeah. He's sorry. a big guy. So you ask mm -hmm. me uh about the stereotype about the hotel. Well, it's the same thing about people would look at him and say, Oh, well, you know, Cynthia is this delicate wolf, you know, flower, uh automatic victim, 
he's this big bombastic you know guy uh he looks like a biker he drives a bike you know that whole stereotype and i actually found him very warm and fuzzy he is he's a teddy bear um you know he's 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 he doesn't really have a mean bone in his body although like i i was saying once that uh we went to sable beach when we started the book and we were there for about 10 days and uh i joked on the podcast that we were doing that um if the neighbor had heard us arguing they might have come over and been like sir are you okay because <laughs> of how much bullard was tearing me a new asshole but the thing about him was is that our friendship was like we immediately slid into like mm-hmm. high school friends where we mm-hmm. just bust each other's balls literally 24 mm-hmm. 7 and that's mm-hmm. just our relationship yeah. um so it's interesting that no other woman it's not interesting it's obvious no other woman came forward because bullard is basically a pussycat like you know he's yeah. you know yeah. he's he's just you know he he was in an on again off again relationship and he thought it was going to be on again because that's what the last five times proved to be true yeah so. it, well it takes two to tango and nobody ever ever looked at the other side of the story which is a big problem in journalism now it's just automatic this person's guilty or that person's guilty. Let's not even examine that there might be another side of the story. That's not what I learned when I went to journalism school, which is at woke Carlton. Carlton's become very woke now. I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. to say that I went there. Considering well, they were named after a greeting card company. So Yes, exactly. But uh, I mean, back when I went to you know, journalism school, I did learn to get both sides of the story, sometimes three sides of the story and to do my homework. And, you know, I just see people dumping on others without even knowing the facts. Um, I only, uh, we only have a couple minutes left. I just wanted to hone in on one thing quickly before we like went away from bullet and wrapped up Uh, Kevin Donovan, Mm -hmm. the, the magnitude of including a detail so easy for people to imagine Mm-hmm. which was Bullard stalking Cynthia Mulligan by parking outside yeah. of her house, right. which turned out to be a complete fabrication. Oh, yeah. How often does a fabrication like that so impactful happen where it's just complete bullshit and they have to retract? And, and like, because it seems to, I had never heard of something so, you know, egregious. Well, you know, I think in a case like that, where there are two strong personalities, well-known personalities, you better make damn sure that you have your facts straight. And, you know, I uh, I lived through the goat tail of a hotel and learned my lesson, but this was affecting people, somebody's life. And I could not believe how cavalier both Mr. Donovan was and Ms. Mulligan. I mean, the record was not corrected for some time. Um, it's like eight months or something, or was it oh, even I a think year and two a Two years, I think. It went on wow. for quite some time. No, it was two years. And here I'm putting out my goat correction a week later, you know, and uh, even that was too late. I should have, you know, we should have done it a few days earlier, but. I could not believe that that was left hanging. And and that is the state of the media these days that, you know, it yeah. doesn't matter if you ruin somebody's life. No, it doesn't. Can you hear that beeping? I can hear it. <laughs> my, it's my phone on the other side of the room. We're going to wrap anyways. Um, listen, um, I really like the fact that you blocked me and now you don't block me. And now we have a rapport in real life because I, I, I'm tired of, of, of rapport is only existing in the digital world and it all going yeah. to shit. So, yeah, no, this was very, and, and I want to thank you uh, for uh, helping. Okay, hold on one know. second. Hold on. I got, I got a second. Oh, no, I can't. It's on the floor. Okay. <laughs> That's my wrap-up music. You know, like the Oscars when it's going for yeah. a little bit too long, the speeches? Okay. Is, well, just yeah, bring the hook. Pull yeah, me. I will. I'm pulling myself away. Um, no, I want to <laughs> thank you for reaching out to me, too. Um, no problem. Yeah, so... Yeah, we'll have you on again. Um, I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail, and I just would like to preamble that I think that there's hate already mail. hate comments here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to like let everyone know that plans on sending me emails uh, that say I'm platforming a Nazi lesbian Jew, which is fucking hilarious. How can um, I be a Nazi Jew? Listen, I don't know. You 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 managed to do it, Sue Ann, okay? Don't ask me. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, that's okay. what happened. I, I got to go but, now and get my uniform on. Yeah. Well, listen, like I, I'm preambling all those people that are going to tell me that all that bullshit about platforming a person as hateful as so and leave it. 
go fuck yourself. I don't really care. <laughs> you well, you can talk to me about it all you want, and I'm just gonna be like, because I and I'm not putting you in this category. I would interview anybody. I, well, I would I you know we used to interview Osama bin Laden. You know, let me like, tell you something. If you equate hate with somebody actually telling the other side of the story or telling the truth or connecting with the average person as I have, you know, representing their thoughts of the average person who doesn't speak up, well, then I'm hateful. I'm sorry that I'm so hateful that I actually consider what people uh, think, you know, the average person, I can connect with the average person. Uh, I have no problem going into homeless encampments and talking to the homeless and going wherever. I mean, I, I guess I have balls. A Jewish lesbian, Nazi lesbian with balls. Your mic is off. I can't hear you. Sorry about that. No, I was sorry. I, um, I, I was, I was just thinking about like that trend about a year ago where, um, do you remember the media where we're like asking these weirdly ambiguous questions? Like if you don't date a male body trans woman, are you mm-hmm. transphobic? Are you a bigot? And it's like, no, I still don't like penis just like before, <laughs> you know, like, and, and and I don't know where we can go from that. It, it, it's so absurd that it has to collapse under the weight of its own stupidity one day. Yes, it, it will one day. Let's hope. Okay. Well, Sue Ann Levy, thank you for coming on the show. And um, let's You're compare welcome. hate mail and, and maybe wallpaper or bathroom. I think okay. All right. Okay. Thanks. Have a good one. Take care. See, guys, she's not so bad. I, I don't know why everyone gets all, like, excited over certain, certain guests. I, I, I got the same... Bullshit when Max, when I had Max Bernier on, he's like affable, you know, (laughs) he doesn't even have any seats. Like, why are people worried so much about, about people? Listen, um, I, I probably don't share much of her politics. She didn't seem hateful to me. Um, you know, I think that, uh, people would, would listen to her talk about, uh, racial issues and, and think that she, um, isn't, you know, taking care of her language as well as she could. Um, you know what? People are just you know, complex beings, you know? Um, and when someone makes a mistake, like she made with that article that she's owned, it doesn't have to be brought up. Like every single time you hear her name, it's just like, you know, people move on from mistakes. And, um, I feel like we are not moving on from other people's mistakes. And that's weird to me. My name is James DeFury, and that was Blackballed. Uh, We will see you Thursday when we have a surprise guest. And, oh, I'm really excited because I booked Fat Al from God Made Me Funky on uh, March 24th. So stay tuned for that, and we'll talk to you soon. everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd.
Kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell, Blundell Network. Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.